It's no coincidence that in this season of Birth Happens with the theme of connection, that episode one really focused on folks finding their circle of support and practicing what it feels like to ask for and then receive a little or a lot of help from others. Because this is a super challenging thing to do in our culture of bootstraps and perfectionism. I call BS on all of it, y'all. There's no way we're supposed to do anything in life in isolation, least of all, parenthood. But connection to yourself is where we need to start. It's almost impossible to connect, really connect, with others if you're feeling at all disconnected from your own wants, needs, and emotions. But here's the zinger. When you first become a parent, the wants, needs, and emotions of your newborn take precedence over everything else, especially in the fourth trimester. But if we don't know about the neurobiology of new parenthood, or that this is exactly how evolution works so that our species will continue, then we can really freak out and start to wonder, who am I now? And how do I connect with this brand new person? Well, you're in luck, because I've got a few thoughts about that. Welcome. My name is Barb Buckner Suarez. For over two decades, I've worked as a childbirth educator and a couples coach, helping thousands of families say yes to parenting. I've got some thoughts about how life changes when we choose to become parents. Those thoughts may be irreverent, funny, or countercultural at times, but I promise you, they will always be real. Whether you're curious about starting a family in the middle of your fourth pregnancy, or your birthing days are long over, raising the next generation is hard. And all of us could use a little more support. I want this to be a place where you can find that support. Because let's face it, birth happens. I think when we first enter into this whole parenting gig, our focus tends to be a little narrow and maybe a teensy bit unrealistic. We imagine a future of holding our new little babe in arms, those quiet and content moments where everything seems almost magical. And if we're partnered, we might believe that this little person will only strengthen the bond between us, deepening our love for one another. And y'all, there's nothing wrong with this. But depending on how much parenthood prep you received, when reality hits, it might be shocking to realize how different it is from what your expectations were before the baby arrived. But maybe the biggest shock of all is how you are changing as an individual right from the very start, maybe even during pregnancy. Your self-identity gets rocked when you become somebody's parent. Creating healthy boundaries knowing that this work of parenthood matters so much and reclaiming what matters to you now as a combination of who you were pre and post baby is so incredibly important to fully embracing your new role. It's not a new idea, y'all. Pregnancy and birth are powerful, transformative experiences. But I believe this power to transform happens every single time you're preparing to become a parent, whether it's your first or your fifth. 
Each one of my pregnancies and births taught me something new and transformed me in powerful ways that make me who I am today. Now, the focus is usually on how much the first experience of pregnancy and birth transforms a person. And this makes sense. The first time you do anything, it makes the biggest impact. Everything's new, and it ends up feeling like all the really big stuff happens the first time around. But actually, each time we say yes to becoming a parent, biological, adoptive, even if the pregnancy ends in loss, the decision to become a parent marks the start of the transformation process. Growing up, I would have been considered a tomboy, y'all. Even though I was quite comfortable in my body, I identified with and liked being a girl. And I was solid in my heterosexuality. I really, really liked boys. I've never considered myself to be super feminine. My imaginary friend as a preschooler was a baseball-loving boy named Michael. If you were looking for me, I'd probably be outside climbing trees or catching crawdads in the lake. I hated dolls and never played with them. The irony of this is not lost on me. And I'd much rather play soccer or football with the boys than do anything else with the girls. And while all of these might be pretty stereotypical examples, they're all true. As a kid, I was hyper aware of how boys were treated differently from girls. And even at a young age, I figured out that this difference had nothing to do with intelligence or character. It was because they were boys. I realized early on that there was power in being male identified. And maybe this is one of the reasons why I hung out with boys more than girls when I was growing up. I wanted some of that power. Or it could just be a part of my hormonal makeup. Once in a conversation with my then 13-year-old son, I mentioned that I might have more testosterone than most women, to which he replied, Mom, you got more testosterone than most men. And this is probably true. In any case, I've always been aware of the power imbalance that exists between the sexes based solely on gender, and I don't think it's cool. Social constructs being what they are, they still exist and have an impact for sure. But when I became pregnant for the first time, almost immediately, I realized something. Pregnant folks are really, really powerful. Our bodies The very same bodies that might keep us from claiming the highest positions of power in business, politics, and lots of other areas are co-creators of human life. Being newly pregnant and making this discovery, I remember thinking how sad it was that my husband was just a man and would never be able to experience what real power was all about. For instance, I created an organ to nourish my developing baby because, duh, I was that cool. I created my baby's bones, her brain, all her internal organs, her skin, a couple of ears, some hair, her fingernails, eyelashes, and a bunch of other stuff. I was making a brand new human being from scratch. And even though it was incredibly demanding, exhausting, and hard work, I did it 24-7. I created this new human being while working, teaching, even while I was sleeping. I was completely transformed, y'all. I didn't become any less tomboyish. My testosterone to estrogen progesterone levels have stayed about the same. But everything about how I felt had been transformed. I made my peace with this male-dominated world because I had discovered the real truth. I was powerful beyond measure. 
It was unexpected, this transformation. In fact, I'd wondered before I ever became pregnant if I was going to hate the physical limitations placed on my pregnant body. And while I'm on record for saying that I do not love being a pregnant person, I still thought that the whole process was amazing and that I was awesome. I'm lucky to have a partner who was willing and excited to accept this transformation. He never felt threatened as I discovered this new personal power. Too often, when the person we love most in the world starts any transformation process, instead of supporting them, we get scared. We fear they'll outgrow us or no longer need us. So we try to tamp it down, make it not quite so big. Without even realizing it, we tell our partners through our lack of enthusiastic support, you can be transformed, but only a tiny little bit. Transformation is big. Webster tells us that transformation is a thorough or dramatic change in form or appearance, a metamorphosis during the life cycle of an animal. But that's exactly what pregnancy and birth offer all of us. Powerful transformation, but only if we allow it. We don't need to go in search of this transformation. We just need to notice it when it happens. And when we do notice it happening, try not to run away from it. Don't be afraid of it. Feel it out a little bit. Embrace it. Talk about it with your partner. Assure them that this transformation you're experiencing is about both of you growing into your new roles as parents. And then notice and appreciate the transformation as it happens for them as well. For every family, the transformation that can occur is unique. It's a culmination of all of your experiences to date. In every single transformative experience we go through, birth or otherwise, has something to teach us, y'all, if we're willing to learn. My first pregnancy and birth taught me what real power was and that I possessed it all along. My second taught me what really matters in a birth story, and it wasn't at all as I thought. Number three taught me that there were still lots of surprises in life and to not get too attached to things going my way. And my fourth taught me that the mental, emotional experiences of pregnancy and birth are at least as important, and in some ways, even more important, than the physical experience. Every time, I was transformed. Maybe that transformation was most obvious with my first, but even if the subsequent transformations were more subtle, They remained equally life-changing. Each one of these powerful, transformative experiences taught me important things about myself, my partner, and life in general. They've been instrumental in shaping who I am and how I move through the world today. How about you? Did you notice any transformation while you were pregnant or after you gave birth? If you've had more than one child, would you agree that the first time was the most obvious transformation for you? What have pregnancy and birth taught you? How much worth do you place? on the day-to-day caretaking that you're doing for your newborn. This can be a really challenging time for both parents, but it's something you should be discussing with one another 
because one of you will be the primary caregiver of your newborn, either for the time your leave allows, which for the record is never enough, or a lot longer, especially if you've made the choice as a new family for one of you to stay home after reducing your hours to part-time or quitting your pre-baby job altogether. It's a discussion you need to have because all too often, the person who quits work or reduces their out-of-the-home work hours is challenged initially to see that the work they're doing inside the home has the same or more value than what they were doing before. Why? Because before, you wore work clothes and drank fancy espresso drinks and had meaningful discussions about current events and attended important meetings and made big decisions, blah, blah, blah. And after, at least for a little while, you're still wearing sweatpants at 2 p.m. and reheating your coffee mug in the microwave for the third time today, and your meetings are with the pediatrician, and the only big decision you've made centered around whether you felt up to making it to music class with your little one. You crave adult interaction, but are concerned that you might not be able to complete a fully formed sentence ever again that does not involve a detailed description of your baby's diaper contents. Initially, that transition of working outside the home to working inside the home can be really tough, no matter which parent is doing it. But if you'd like to make this easier for all of you, make sure your partner also listens to this episode and turn up the volume for a moment when I tell you, all parents work, whether it is outside the home or inside the home. Let's just stop having this worn out debate, y'all. Once a baby is on the scene, anyone who's doing one or the other or even both gets it. No one's just sitting around. Every single parent you know is working hard. But in our society, we sometimes think that the work that has no paycheck attached to it also doesn't have as much worth. This is one reason why it's so important for the person who's not the primary caregiver to acknowledge the one who is by calling out all the work that they're doing in caring for the baby. The person who's at home with the baby needs time and space to grow into this new role. They need to find their people to create for themselves a new sense of identity and meaning in their work as primary caregiver. But when they have your unbridled support, your affirmation that what they do from the minute they wake up until the minute they kiss your baby goodnight matters, that you recognize how much it is worth for your family, that transition is so much easier for them. Y'all, the only person who really has any clue about what you do in your role as parent is your partner. It's important that you each take the time to acknowledge and receive positive feedback as you transition into becoming a family. And if you're not partnered, then I ask you to share all the hard work you're doing as a single parent with your circle of family and friends so that they can acknowledge all that you're doing for your baby. Every one of us deserves to have a strong sense of self-worth when we're talking about the work that's involved with raising the next generation. Parenting is often the hardest work we'll ever do in our lives, y'all. But it can also be our very best work if we feel that it has worth. It doesn't matter if you're the primary caregiver or if you work part-time or full-time outside the home. Every parent is a working parent. Do you feel like your parenting has worth? 
Do you tell your partner often that you find worth in the way they care for your baby? What would finding worth in this job of parenting look like for you? I can't tell you how many mamas I know parenting for the first time or several times over that don't really look forward to a particular holiday that's supposed to be all about them. Yep, you guessed it, Mother's Day. So how come it's not always so happy? The reasons might not be what you'd expect. Sometimes this holiday is rough for folks who've assumed this new role. Maybe they lost their own mother, so this holiday reminds them painfully of that loss. Or their journey has been intense and hasn't been what they'd hoped it would be. Infertility, loss, or estranged children can leave their hearts aching for a motherhood they always wished for, but haven't experienced. I'm talking more about those mamas who haven't experienced a celebration in a way that they've actually enjoyed, because they haven't asked for what they really want. Now, many of you might think that Mother's Day is just another hallmark holiday and one you don't want to buy into. But here's the deal, y'all. Parenthood is probably the hardest job you'll ever have. But unfortunately, it's also the job you're least likely to receive any recognition for. Whether you're just starting out at an entry-level position, or if you've been at this for decades and have ascended to the level of upper management, the reality is that our society doesn't care all that much. How do we know? While there might be a lot of people making claims about how important parenthood is, What kind of policies do we have in place to back those claims up? Too few has always been the answer. Childcare costs are exorbitantly expensive. Family leave is ridiculously short. And we're encouraged to place the needs of our children and partners ahead of our own. All while struggling to achieve that life, work, family, self-care balance that's touted as ideal, yet remains an unachievable utopian fantasy for the majority of us. Self-esteem takes a hit when you become a parent in large part because the work you do isn't compensated in ways that keep our society rolling along. The media, politicians, our employer, the world tells us that our work is essential, but their lack of action speaks louder than words. That's why I think Mother's Day and Father's Day, or you could rename either of those days to Parents' Day or even Caregiver's Day if the title's Mother and Father, don't exactly fit you or your situation. This is why these days are some of the most important holidays on our calendars. Holidays that should absolutely be celebrated so that for at least one day a year, you feel appreciated for the incredible work you do the other 364 days of the year. But let's celebrate the way we want to, not the way we think we should. What do I mean? Y'all, if you live close to your extended family, then what I'm about to suggest might cause a minor mutiny, especially if this is the first time you make Mother's Day your own celebration. You have been warned. You've probably celebrated your own mother for decades, and I'm not telling you to stop. But if you're now a parent, when do you get celebrated? And how? If you're still heading over to your mom's, aka grandma's house, for brunch, and the focus remains on your mom and doing what they like to do on this day, What does that say about the work that you're doing as a parent? I'm not saying you shouldn't celebrate your mom. 
But maybe you decide to get together on Saturday at some point, or maybe even Sunday for dinner. That way the actual day can belong to you. It can be your own new celebration. Obviously, this is a lot easier to establish and set up as the new order of things if your family's not in town. If you live away from your extended family, you've probably been sending a card or calling your mom to wish her a happy Mother's Day for years. But if you're all in town and within easy driving distance, It's important to establish these new boundaries with your family from the get-go, or expectations might settle into place and prevent you from celebrating the way you really want to. Which leads me to my second point. How do you want to celebrate? There's no law that says you have to have a fancy brunch on the second Sunday in the month of May. That's not an official thing, you know. It's not even a thing, y'all. But if you're not careful, that's exactly what your celebration might look like for the rest of your life unless you speak up. Now you might be thinking, but I love a good brunch. Am I just playing into the whole false construct of Mother's Day if that's actually what I want to do? Absolutely not. I happen to think brunch is one of the best innovations in mealtimes ever. But it's not what I really want to do on Mother's Day. Not really. What I really want to do is go for a hike with my family. I like to look for some place we haven't been before. A place that's not too far away, but won't be too crowded either. A place we can easily drive to, park nearby, and get on the trail within minutes. The trail doesn't have to be easy, but I don't want it to be so hard that my kids can't complete it, or let's be honest, won't complain about it the entire time. And I like to finish my day by going somewhere to have lunch, or ice cream, or some other kind of special treat. For me, this is the ideal way to spend my special day. What have you told your partner and children about your special day? Have you given them your thoughts on how you'd really like to spend the day? If not, why not? Clear communication about your wants and needs is the best way I know of in getting them met. Your partner and children aren't very good at mind reading, as it turns out. And if you don't tell them exactly what you want, they're going to try their best, y'all. And sometimes their best will be a hit, and other times, it'll be a big miss. The distance between expectation and reality is equal to whatever disappointment you might feel. These special days should never be about obligation or disappointment. So what do you want to do this year? Enjoy a spa day? Go mountain climbing? Shop for and buy yourself? Hit the zoo with the entire brood? Day drink with your friends? Sleep in and do absolutely zero parenting for the entire day. All of these things and more are available for the asking. You don't have to fit a stereotype of what a good parent does for their special day. You don't have to be anywhere near your children, especially if getting a break would really allow you to come back to this work renewed and rejuvenated. But you won't get what you don't ask for, y'all. And it's not fair to your partner your children, and ultimately yourself to assume that everyone else knows how best to honor you for this work. You've got to ask for it. P.S. This may feel like a dream that's just too good to be true. Maybe you've got family or a partner that you feel certain will not be supportive of you speaking up about your personal wants and needs. Maybe you're doing this work solo and being able to set yourself up for a special day on your special day will take a lot of pre-planning. This would explain why I'm bringing this message to you months before the actual holiday rolls around, y'all. And don't forget, 
Your partner's special day is the following month, so ask them what they want to do while you're at it. Listen, it's so easy to get stuck in a loop of resentment around not being recognized for the contributions you're making in raising the next generation. The first, and really the most important step, is recognizing yourself, knowing your own worth, and then asking for others to do the same. I'm a child of the 80s. I've now revealed my approximate age and managed to conjure up some nostalgia for what is arguably the greatest decade ever. However, my point is to harken back to a time when many folks like me had a stay-at-home mom, which wasn't even a thing back then, y'all. Instead, if your mom worked outside of the home, you'd say she was a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher or a nurse or whatever. But if you had a stay-at-home mom, then you would just say, she's a mom. Flash forward to today, and let's acknowledge the reality of just how many women have been forced to leave their paid work due to the global pandemic caused by COVID-19. From the start of the pandemic, many working families were faced with shrinking or no childcare options and had to figure out how the hell they were supposed to balance caring for children under the age of five while simultaneously working full or part-time jobs from their dining room table. Something had to give. That something for far too many women was their part-time or full-time paid employment. According to an article from Politico, nearly 1.8 million women have stopped working since the start of the pandemic. But have they really stopped working? According to an article from Motherly, stay-at-home moms work 106 hours a week, and they should be earning upwards of 184000 annually in compensation. Y'all, 106 hours a week breaks down to over two and a half full-time jobs. And what, might you ask, are the duties that go into those 106 hours? Driver, staff nurse, nutrition director, conflict manager, psychologist, just a few of the many, many other titles that correspond with the work of parenting. So much of the work that parents do to raise the next generation is invisible. It is work that goes unnoticed by anyone, by everyone. We live in a culture that favors the kind of work that comes with a paycheck. That's the work that's deemed valuable in our society. But what about the work of raising kind and caring humans, y'all? They are, after all, the future stewards of this world we live in. What about all the time, energy, and effort that goes into making sure our children are growing and healthy and that we're meeting their needs consistently? If you've never been tasked with what goes into raising a tiny human from the very start, let me break it down for you. Human babies come into the world completely and utterly helpless. They must rely on the connection they share with at least one adult caregiver for their most basic needs of food, clothing, rest, and shelter to be met. Without this, they'd never make it out of infancy. Newborns have teeny tiny tummies that need food often, every two to three hours at first, around the clock. The sheer exhaustion of interrupted sleep is close to torture levels. Learning how to breast or chest feed is challenging for most parent-baby dyads, and yet it is essential to this little person's survival. So you know, no pressure or anything. Initially, newborns are more fetus-like than babies, so you do all the work of feeding them, changing diapers, soothing them to sleep, 
rinse and repeat ad nauseum, and they don't give you a lot in return. They haven't yet figured out how to light up your world with their smile or show their obvious preference for you over the ceiling fan just yet. One reason this work is so hard is because you have to do it, but no one acknowledges the challenges involved or tells you that you're doing a great job. If you happen to have a partner to help you with this work, then count yourself lucky. But that doesn't mean you get much of a break because you're both tired as hell and trying to figure out how this eight-pound peanut has turned your lives upside down. And that's just the fourth trimester, folks. Parenting is a forever job. It never ends. It is both the best work you'll ever do and the hardest work you'll ever do. But unless and until we acknowledge this and start putting policies into place that will actually support you as new parents, you'll continue to feel underappreciated and resentful in this work. And this makes all of it so much harder than it has to be, y'all. The first step, as always, happens in our own homes. We need to recognize and be recognized for the work that we're doing to raise our children. Back to my own childhood for a moment. My mom, the goat, MT, the mother of all mothers, held various part-time jobs once we'd all started elementary school. But her work hours always seemed to coincide with the hours of our school day. I think she'd been employed for the better part of six months before I knew that she even had a job outside of her work as a mama. She was there for us when we woke up and got ready for school and there for us when we got off the bus in the afternoon. So despite part-time work, she still held the title of stay-at-home mom. My dad was super engaged and did a lot more than most fathers of that era when it came to helping raise us to adulthood. But my mom definitely did the lion's share of the work. Every once in a while during the middle of dinner, apropos of absolutely nothing, my dad would speak up and say something along these lines. I want you to turn your attention to your mother for a moment and realize something. If it weren't for her and all the work that she does for this family, we would fall apart. I'm happy to tell you that this was not a one-time thing, y'all. With one simple sentence, my dad, my mom's parenting partner, acknowledged what he knew to be true. That the work my mom devoted to raising us, all of it unpaid and discounted by our culture and society, had value. He asked each of us, the direct recipients and the ones who benefited most, to show her the respect and gratitude she deserved for taking care of us day in and day out. Now, you may not be a stay-at-home mom, or maybe you are, but not by choice, or maybe you're in the workforce, either part-time or full-time, and still have to do the lion's share of the work of parenting. Or maybe stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home parent is the title you wear proudly now and until the kids are grown, or at least until they go to school. Whatever your family situation, I sincerely hope that your work is not going unnoticed, that you never feel undervalued or invisible. If so, please share this with the people in your life so that they get it. When we tie the work we do to a paycheck, it devalues the work that's happening in our homes 24-7. I will never stop saying it. Raising the next generation is the most important work you will ever do in your lifetime. And you deserve some damn respect.
Like many of my birthday friends and colleagues, I was intrigued to see the theatrical release of the movie Tully. The story is about a newly postpartum mama of three and Tully, the night nanny who comes to help her get back on her feet after the birth of her latest baby. Initially, some in the birth world were very vocal in discouraging people from seeing this film for lots of reasons. The way it depicted postpartum doulas, the fact that not enough attention or screen time was devoted to postpartum mental health issues, and some shocking plot twists. I'm not going to give away too much information, y'all, because I hate spoilers. And maybe you're like me. When someone tells me not to see something, I usually end up wanting to see it even more. Around the same time, I was also binge-watching The Letdown, an Australian comedy about new motherhood on Netflix. And it struck me how pop culture is painting a very different picture of motherhood these days. Pop culture has decided to throw away the image of motherhood being all about rainbows and unicorns, and I don't think that's a bad idea, y'all. I'd love for us to get rid of the goddess myth once and for all. But I'm afraid that in our rejection of this myth, we've gone too far in the opposite direction. And I think dramatic movies like Tully and comedic shows like The Letdown might be setting up newly pregnant folks or those who are still considering parenthood to think, oh no, I don't want that to be my life. In fact, after I took my then 18-year-old daughter to see Tully, I asked her what she thought. Her first response was, did you take me to this movie on purpose, mom? Because that was really good birth control. After seeing that, I don't think I ever want to have kids. I'm afraid this might be where we're headed. Now, I'm not saying that every person should become a parent. That's a personal decision, and I have nothing but respect for those who make the choice to remain childless. Parenting is definitely not for everyone. But to decide to remain childless because pop culture has depicted parenthood as something to dread and avoid at all costs? I do have a problem with that. Whenever there's a need for correction, when the pendulum has swung too far in one direction, there's an opportunity to turn that around. But unfortunately, this usually results in a pendulum swing to the other extreme. And that's where we find ourselves right now. There were parts of Tully that I appreciated. Charlize Theron's commitment to the role, for one. She didn't play the ever-gorgeous badass that we're used to seeing her play with those incredible six-pack abs on full display. Nope. We get to see her character, Marlo, and what a real postpartum body looks like. Theron reportedly gained 50 pounds for the role, and it took her 18 months to lose the weight. That alone was incredibly refreshing to see. And I'm sure many new parents will appreciate Hollywood not giving them yet another impossible postpartum body image to compare themselves to. Tully also captures the disconnect and libido and intimacy between couples that normally happens after a baby is born. And this is rarely, if ever, discussed in movies. We get to see the real challenge of Marla juggling not just a newborn, but her two other small children, and what it's like to parent a child with special needs. And while it might be more of a comedic turn, the letdown gives us much of the same. We see Audrey, played by Allison Bell, driving the baby around at night to get her to sleep. Been there, done that. We watch as she and her partner Jeremy negotiate real parenting decisions from two very different perspectives, probably things they, we, never thought to discuss before the baby arrived. We vicariously experience the ups and downs of being a full-time at-home parent as well as what it's like for parents who work outside of the home to strike anything close to a balance. 
And while I welcome realistic expectations about all things, y'all, I'm concerned with the way motherhood and parenting in general is being depicted these days. Parenthood. It's a constant state of suckiness that you'll likely regret. So for those of you contemplating going down this road, save yourself and get a puppy instead. Parenting is a decision that, whenever possible, is best made with eyes wide open. It's challenging work, this raising of the next generation. And it seems silly that we wouldn't recognize that before jumping in feet first. But oftentimes, we romanticize this next step in creating a family. We think about how having a baby will make our relationship stronger, that we'll be even more in love with one another than ever before, that we'll spend hours gazing at our perfect sleeping newborn and feel fulfillment and utterly content in our new role. This expectation is extreme, unrealistic, and sets us up for huge disappointment, y'all. The changes that occur individually, as well as for your entire family, are rarely given consideration. And so you bumble your way through one of life's biggest stressors thinking, why didn't anyone tell me what it would really be like? Your perspective on whether the decision to become a parent was a good one or a bad one can be traced back to whether you felt adequately prepared for the job. This huge life transition from woman to mother, man to father, individual to parent, and couple to family means a tremendous amount of change occurring in a relatively very short period of time. It matters a lot that you feel like you've been given realistic expectations, but not doomsday predictions, about what those changes will be and what they will mean for you as an individual and as a family. It matters whether you have enough support and the right support to parent as part of a larger community. Because we're not meant to go it alone in this world, y'all. We're meant to work and live in community. And that means identifying your village, your people who will be there for you on the days when this parenting gig seems harder than you can handle, but also there to celebrate with you too. Because despite how mothering is being depicted these days in pop culture, either perfect and ever so happy via YouTube, Instagram, Pinterest, and other social media, or the worst decision you've ever made via movies and TV shows of late, something a little more subtle and nuanced is probably more accurate. There are days when parenting is really challenging, and you're not sure if you're cut out for it. It's intense, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. You'll have days where you'll consider throwing in the towel and letting someone else more capable than you raise your children. But believe me, there are days when your heart can't even handle how good it is. You won't believe how much you love this little person. You're excited for the chance to have a do-over at life and experience everything that this big, crazy world has to offer, looking through the new eyes and fresh perspective that your baby provides. Their joys and struggles are your joys and struggles, and you'll finally understand what it means to love unconditionally. None of this is to say that there aren't things, both funny and intensely dramatic, that parents will find relatable in the latest depiction that pop culture is serving up at the moment. But for the sake of the next generation, it would be helpful to share that there are some things about this gig that expectant or new parents might actually like, and maybe even love. 
It would be nice for expectant parents to have a realistic idea about what they're getting themselves into, for sure. But let's not destroy the potential that they might experience joy, too, okay? Have you noticed the trend of the pendulum swinging from parenthood is amazing to parenthood sucks? What are your thoughts about this trend? Do you think it's helpful or harmful? And if you wish that you'd had better preparation for what becoming a parent would really be like, it's never too late to take a Becoming Us class with me. I've had parents of toddlers come back to learn what they wish they had learned before their first baby ever arrived on the scene. And you can find more information about Becoming Us classes in today's show notes or by checking out my website at bbsuarez.com. Identifying our wants and needs is harder than it sounds, especially when we've become parents for the first time and our baby's wants and needs are so intense and immediate. Our own get put on the back burner of life and if we don't course correct, that's exactly where they'll stay. It's important to note that in the immediate postpartum time, the fourth trimester, when you're just starting to figure things out with this new little human being, It's normal and necessary for your focus to be all about the baby. But if your newborn is approaching or past that three-month post-birth point, I want you to find some quiet space and time to remember what your wants and needs might be. I've attached a worksheet in today's show notes, but you could just as easily use these words as a guide to take some notes for yourself. I call this the pre-post-future exercise. Imagine three pie charts that represent who you were pre-baby, who you are now post-baby, and who you'd like to be sometime in the future, maybe a year from now. Divide each pie up not according to how much time you spend doing any one activity, but rather how you would assign each of the different roles and identities you have. For example, Barb's post-baby pie would include the following roles and identities. Mom, wife, friend, educator, entrepreneur, member of the Peloton cult, yogi, meditator, reader, writer, etc. Be honest about how things have changed since becoming a parent. You can't claim what you'd like for the future unless you're real about how things were in the past and how things are right now in the present. It's okay to notice and grieve those changes. Becoming a parent involves a ton of sacrifice, especially at the start. Compare your pre-baby and post-baby pies. What's different? What parts of yourself pre-baby have been lost that you want to bring back in? What parts of yourself post-baby are you grateful for and want to keep. Now imagine what a future integrated reality will look like for you, where the best of who you were then and the best of who you are now can come together as the completely new person that's been transformed by parenthood. Use this as your guide for discussion with your partner and extended circle of family and friends, but mostly as a reminder for yourself. Your identity has changed. 
You are a new person now. But the best gift you can give to your baby and the rest of the world is to show up as your whole self. And this will only happen when you honor your own wants, needs, emotions, and new identity. Okay, y'all, we've realized that connection can't be ours until we start asking for help. We've discussed the need to get reacquainted and reconnected with ourselves after becoming a parent. How about honoring the connection we share with these babies of ours? We'll explore that in the next episode. Birth Happens is one of my babies, y'all. If you liked this episode, please share or leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. I look forward to connecting with you next time on Birth Happens. <laughs>